Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Listening to Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos here on WHBY. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. I'm going to double dip. I normally don't double dip, but I'm going to double dip today. We've got a ton of stuff to get into, and we're going to get into it. Probably all of it. We'll see what happens, but I got a good feeling we're getting into all of it today. But I have to double dip for the start off here, because I feel like, for those of you in the audience that are Stranger Things fans, I feel like I'm living in the Upside Down right now. If you don't know what the Upside Down is, you're not watching Stranger Things, which you should. It's not as good as America says it is, but it's a, it's a fun show. If, if you if you like anything about the 80s, you will enjoy the show. Not as good as everyone says it is, but it's good. But in the Upside Down, it's essentially the exact same world that we live in right now, except for everything's like messed up. Like it's very dark. There's like these these like roots growing all over things. I'm not I'm not completely sure. I'm not completely up to date. So for all I know, people know why there's roots everywhere, but there's like roots on everything. And uh, and everything's just like kind of the opposite of what it is in the real world. And I feel like we're living in that right now. And it's it, it is a very jarring reality for me to deal with. If you weren't listening to the show yesterday, I started off the program playing a clip of Jon Stewart's comeback from, uh, to media and kind of highlighting specifically that liberals were losing their mind just for the most mild and meek criticism of the current president, Joe Biden, saying there was no room in the discourse right now for this both sides approach, which I then commented on, gave me a little apprehension because... Uh, that's very similarly the kind of show that I do here. I obviously was inspired by that guy. We do a very similar show. After my show wrapped, the comments kept coming and only got meaner and more angry in regards to holding both sides accountable. And it's an incredibly frustrating thing for me to watch happen. And that's why I feel like we are in the upside down right now. We are living in a world where Republicans are mad at country singers and the NFL. And liberals are mad at Jon Stewart. Like, does nobody else notice what's going on right now? Is nobody else seeing that happen right now? The same people who are mad at Jon Stewart are the same people who hold up Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney as, oh, can you believe the bravery of these people for standing up to Trump? Mitt Romney never met a business that he wouldn't want to cut into pieces and sell for scraps, screwing over tens of thousands of workers so he can make a couple extra hundred million dollars. Liz Cheney wrote off 
her own sibling when she came out of the closet and has never come across a war that she did not like. And both of these people are held up by liberals, but they're telling Jon Stewart to go away because he highlighted that maybe the president has lost a step. It's wild to me that we find ourselves in this situation. It's so weird. And no one's really highlighting that. That it's like everybody is kind of angry at the things that traditionally, when I grew up, would have been the inverse. It was that uh, Joe Bi- or, uh, uh, John Stewart needs to be harder on, liber- on liberals. He's always hammering Fox News and conservatives. And conservatives would stand up for the NFL no matter what crazy scandal they found themselves embroiled in that week. It is a complete 180 of social cues happening right in front of our face. It's like we're watching the parties switch teams right in front of our face. And that's the theme of the show today, that uh, that we're watching this happen across a number of different political ideologies as well. Right now, liberals are haranguing conservatives for not funding more war. I, I don't understand how it is that we got here. And a number of people, myself included, get harangued online when we highlight the realities of the wars we're talking about funding, when we have so many domestic problems. Joe Biden took to a uh, press conference to immediately pressure Mike Johnson to bring up the foreign aid bill that we'll get into a little bit later on. We have 100,000 people dying from fentanyl overdoses every year. We have a a homelessness crisis that is out of control. We have a housing crisis that is out of control. No press conference is called about about Republicans and Democrats coming together and finding a solution there. He's kicking it into gear to make sure we send $95 billion overseas. And people are getting mad at Jon Stewart for pointing out that maybe that might frustrate people. For crying out loud, just because he says something bad about what you think doesn't mean or what you do for a living doesn't mean you should take it personally. If you listen to Putin when he talks about... Uh, uh, Orthodox Christianity and Western society and anti-gay rhetoric. He sounds like a AM radio host. That piece of crap. What is he saying about AM talk show hosts? I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to react over the top because I don't know how to process a joke. That's what I'm going to do. This guy doesn't know what it is to be an AM talk show host. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. I, I When I came across that clip, I had to play it there. But this is what I'm talking about, guys. We need to pull ourselves out of this funk. We're going to do plenty of talk here about the foreign aid bill, about the Mayorkas impeachment, about Joe Biden's competency. All that's going to be coming up over the course of the next two hours. I do want to start on a pretty local uh, note here. If you weren't listening yesterday, all I said was... <laughs> was Uber and Lyft are going to be striking today, and I didn't get to get into any more of the story. I'm not going to have any time to get into any more of it either. It's a two-hour strike. Uh, They're just not going to be driving during some busy parts of the day here. Uh, Interesting story. The flight attendants for a couple of different airlines are also going on strike today as well, obviously Valentine's Day being picked as the... uh, as the primary day that they, they want to target for whatever reason that may be. More power to them. Hope you all get whatever it is that you're looking for. But so Nancy Reagan uh, hopped on the uh, Settlers Best Credit Union talk and text line to talk about uh, his or her. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to go with her, Nancy. I hope you're listening right now. I'm just going to go with her. Uh, because I want to keep the charade going. But I have no idea who this actually is. But I do appreciate that. 
This person, though, wanted to share their experiences as a business owner with me and what went into hiring. I get frustrated with the idea that no one wants to work anymore. I think nobody wants to work anymore and still not have enough money to exist on the other side of working, and I think that's a reasonable thing to complain about. Working for 12 to $15 an hour at this stage of the game isn't enough to sustain a life. So if you're telling me that I can either not work, collect unemployment, and be pretty broke, I'd probably pick that over working 40 hours a week, not being able to afford anything, and being mostly broke. It, it, it's not enough of a jump to convince people to want to do things. I'm not going to advocate for that. However, I do like to shine a spotlight on people who are doing good things too. And I think that's an important thing to notice. I very, very rarely am haranguing small businesses when I talk the way I talk about these kinds of things. I am coming at, as I mentioned yesterday, the Walmarts of the world. We had Ben, regular listener of the show, call in yesterday. He's done over 14,000 Uber rides. I don't know if it was Uber and Lyft combined or if it was just Uber. For no reason at all, he has seen a 17% reduction in his pay just in 2023. It's not because less people want to drive. It's not because the cost of operating the business went up. It's not because of supply chain issues. It's not because of COVID. They just wanted to take bigger shares of what the drivers were getting. So they're striking now. That is what that looks like. That is what it, that is how that operation works, as far as I'm concerned. If you want to act that way, that's fine. No one is obligated to drive for you then. But so Nancy hops on, and I wanted to share a little bit because I do think they are doing the right things. The business uh, works with diesel repair and engine sales. This is verbatim. I'm reading. We just hired a first-year tech student at 23 an hour, has no experience in two years of school before he can work full-time, and we have no guarantee he'll stay after he graduates. We treat our employees very well, and they stay forever, except this generation. Our entire industry is struggling to get people to work. Our labor rate is 165 bucks an hour because we pay our employees and their benefits. We as owners are not making money hand over fist. Our customers are the ones who suffer. Increase wage and everything goes up as in food we love our employees we share our profits with them one has been with us over 40 years 70 percent of family insurance 100 percent of dental dental and short-term disability the list goes on and on and she says uh without them we would not have a business but wages are out of control and it has to stop somewhere or we just go out of business and i am totally sympathetic to the plight that nancy is kind of laying out there and the things that they are doing most certainly should entice people in to working in this kind of position. Now, it does seem like it's a little bit more specialized labor. Forgive me for my ignorance. I have never worked with diesel uh, engines or anything like that. I don't know if it's something you can pick up in a couple weeks or not, but at the same time, you guys are doing all the right things. I would argue your costs are a little high through no fault of your own. I think the American insurance program is very rough. And never forget, Businesses just like your, your, the one you're referencing here, it became much more difficult to operate those post the passing of Obamacare. And I, this is not some kind of anti-Obamacare comment, but when Democrats run on Medicare for all or uh, public health options, and then what they end up is some kind of pseudo-private health insurance option where a lot of people, specifically 1099 and business owners, saw their premiums go up for their health care as I always say, Democratic policies do make it a lot more difficult to build a middle-class a middle life. Republican ones make it more difficult to be broke. 
No one ever makes it easier for all of us. We don't have that in our political class. But I will say there are companies just like what Nancy's company is doing here that are doing the right things. And I would highly advocate for looking for those kind of businesses. And I don't know if she's listening right now, but I am willing to bet there are not a lot of cries for unionization in that building. She might be struggling to find people working, but I'm willing to bet that many people do not really care about uh, looking to try and improve their situation in some kind of way because that seems like very fair pay, wages, and a setup for what it is that you are being asked to do. So if you're looking for work, go ahead and check them out. But uh, nevertheless... I do appreciate you sharing that. Whoops, sorry, guys. I do appreciate you guys sharing that uh, information with us. It definitely provides some context as to what local business owners go through trying to find people. The only place where I'm going to push back, Nancy, is it is an anecdotal situation that you find yourself in. I will not condemn an entire generation to being lazy or, or indifferent towards working. It exists for sure. But the idea that any one generation is more or less lazy than the others is a laughable one. How many of you call in talking about unions from the 70s and 60s where you saw people sleeping on the job, where you saw a bunch of people standing around while two people were working? This attitude was everywhere. It's just taking a different form in 2024, something that probably isn't recognizable to a lot of people who started working in 1974. You know what I mean? So... It's always important to I always try to break down possible identity groups. I don't like fighting across generations, obviously races, orientations, all those are completely off limits. The biggest differences are from generation to generation, though, that's for sure. But never forget anyone born in 1987 when I was born. Had I been born in 1947, I'd be the same person, but expressed in different ways. All of you born in 1947, had you been born the same year that I was born, you'd probably have an iPhone and some of you would probably never be able to put it down. I, for one, the moment I don't, I'm not in the office, I am not on my phone. When I'm in Florida in two weeks and I take the week off, I will not be on social media for seven straight days because I do not frequent it. The only reason I use it is for work. Every generation has hard workers. Every generation has lazy people. Every generation has a group of people that are going to be sucked into whatever the newest fad is. Every generation has other people that are going to push back against whatever that thing is. It's constant across time. It just changes shape. So I recognize that there are plenty of people that listen to this show that find themselves in the exact same position that Nancy Reagan uh, does. And she was married to a president once, so come on. Like, it can happen to anybody if it can happen to a former first lady. But at the same time, to then paint an entire generation as lazy or entitled, and that's why they can't afford a house or even a two-bedroom apartment, I will not support that statement ever on this show. But there are most certainly some people that could probably take a kick in the ass to get them rolling. I will not push back against that either. Okay, and with that, I do appreciate it, Nancy, in all seriousness. I hope you're listening. I'm going to text you during the commercial break. But, uh, when we come back, you guys will never guess what happened yesterday. We got MAPS conversations. Yeah, I knew you were looking forward to that. I knew you would be getting excited for that. We will jump into that. However, I do have a call coming through, so we'll do the call first, and then we'll switch gears here. Hello, you're on Outside the Box. Hey, Ben. Good morning. Hey, what's up, bud? Yeah, what's going on, man? So, yeah, uh, I just wanted to let you know that 
everything was Uber. So um, over 14,000 rides and around 4,500 or something Uber Eats, um, <clears throat> they, uh, they started charging the, cut, the, the passengers more money, but they reduced our surge prices dramatically <laughs> and haven't given us any type of incentives it's, or or a boost with uh, inflation. Like I've been making the same since 2016, as far as uh, uh, per mile per minute and base fare. But they did a reduction. Uh, instead of turning it into a multiplier on surge rides, they turned it into a dollar amount. So, like I said to you yesterday, instead of a you know multiplier of five, which times your your minutes and your your miles. And your base pay, it's like an extra three dollars for that ride. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Sure, oh for and, sure. And they have no overhead. They have no overhead costs. I mean, we pay for our cars, we pay for our insurance, we pay for our gas. Um, all and and you could you could see the breakdown of how much a passenger pays after each ride, and the passenger or Uber is taking between fifty and sixty percent of the of what the passengers paying for the ride. Yeah. And, and bad so tips have gone down dramatically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I, and I'll tell you what, man, it reminds me of the smashing pumpkin song. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage because it is a good option for people. You know what I mean? Like Uber, when you have a job, I'm a suit. Is it supplemental income for you? Or are you knocking that out full time? Full time. Yeah. So, not, not to mention the 5,700 DoorDashes I've done right. and over 2,000 Instacarts that I've done. Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And if you you really don't have a lot of other places to take your business at that point because they have kind of cornered the market, you and I couldn't pull our resources right now, go create an app, even if we were good with technology and find a way to compete with these guys. They've locked everyone so out. Those are and hundreds then... of millions of dollars just to get those off the floor. Right, exactly. (laughs) Right, but then once they make their money back, to your point, the overhead is nominal. You got to keep some servers alive, and maybe there's some office people that we're unaware of. But short of that, all the money you're talking about here was going into the bottom line. And I can't tell you how much I picked up a kid when I was doing it, Ben. He had just graduated from the college that I went to, and he had the audacity to tell me that he worked at Uber and he was trying to find a way to make it so that, uh, the cars drove themselves and the GPS worked better. Now, obviously, we're very far away from that. And I told him, hey, future reference, never tell somebody driving that that's what you're doing. So they're taking all the extra money and they're using that as a way to replace you. And if you ask for more money, they tell you, hey, if you get paid this much, we're going to replace you with robots. Well, you're going to you're going to replace with robots anyway. You're trying to do that even when you're taking the money away. It's such a frustrating circle that we find ourselves in. And that's just one industry. Ben, it's happening everywhere. Well, sure, and the and the base, like a Uber Eats base, uh, uh, what what a what a ride, our driver would get on Uber Eats and a ride. Let's just say you're going a, a quarter mile was three dollars, or the base on an Uber Eats if you're going a short distance was three dollars. Now it's two dollars, and it, when you got not not to knock on the college kids, yeah, but we got the Lawrence people in town. We got the people over. Oh, they ain't, they ain't tipping. They ain't tipping. They never tip. <laughs> they ain't tipping. I'll tell you that right so it's now. Like Two dollars <laughs> all the time, and if you if you keep rejecting those, 
and you get below an 85% acceptance rate, they can deactivate you. Right, right. It's all a game, man. It's but all a game. they 1099 you, Ben. Ben, they 1099 you, and they say that you are self-employed. You are your own business. You are a sole proprietor. But yet they can. But fire we can you. shut you down, exactly, dude. Exactly, you're preaching. I, They're I, having their cake and eat it too, man. Yeah, that's why. Are you striking today? Or are you driving today? <laughs> I'm Instacarting today. Okay, all right, good. Stay on that app then. Hey, man, I appreciate the call. You take it yeah. easy. All right. Yeah, bye. Yeah, bye. All right, guys, that's gonna do it. Uh, I appreciate him sharing that and Nancy. The uh, the 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 personal experience to what it is we're talking about is invaluable for these conversations. So I do appreciate you guys providing us with some insight into what your day to day looks like. That's for sure. And with that, we got to go to break when we'll come back. Got to talk about the map situation here. Republicans passed Tony Evers maps. They got to the governor and the governor said, nah, <laughs> so we're going to jump into that on the other side of the break. You're listening to outside the box here on WHBY. frustrated about the state of politics in Wisconsin right now, present company included. Uh, in a lot of ways, we're acting like a bunch of adult children in regards to politics. We wonder why kids act the way they do in this day and age, and I'd argue it's because of the way a lot of people across the age spectrum, by the way, are carrying themselves in this day and age. And it's very dis- it, it's disappointing to say. I myself uh, engage in it from time to time. I told you I let violence, I let my violent half get the better of me yesterday on Twitter. There was one right-winger who was complaining about maps, and it, I said, Republicans had a 16-point advantage for 15 years, and you stayed quiet, and now that we're looking at even maps, you're saying, this is gerrymandering. And then I, <laughs> then I called him a whittle snowflake, and I spelled it like that. Like with a couple W's and D's, like Whittle Snowflake. And yeah, he was triggered. He was triggered, said a bunch of mean things. And that was fine. I deserved it. I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm more mature than that. I probably could have done better. I should be better than that, right? Right? We, we should all be better than that. But, you know, sometimes the darkness gets you. The darkness <laughs> consumes you and you let it and you let it take you over. And nothing I said was factually inaccurate. I had a couple of other right-wingers post some mean things underneath there. No one was refuting the point I made. It was just ad hominem attacks and things like that. Um which I welcome. You know what I mean? I uh, I can take it. You, I don't really block people, but the beautiful thing is I found out there's a mute button on this text line, so I can just make it so I don't see anything for 24 hours. I'm like, ah, all right, this is all right. And then you come back once you, once, you know, you mentally come back from whatever it is people are saying to you. But so, uh, but so this is hitting people in a lot of different ways. And what's funny to me is... Democrats, they didn't do 
themselves any favors yesterday. I will say that because my entire tenure here, there were a lot of claims about fair maps, uh, looking for fair maps. And we're going to, this is going to be a comprehensive coverage here, so please don't think I'm forgetting something. I know, I know the background here, so let me, let me jump into this. And Tim, I see your email. I will jump into that. I promise I'm not big time in that. I'm just going to get this point out here first. We will get to what you emailed, though. Um, the Republicans decided, and if you haven't been hearing Landon Moore, I actually asked him to send me the audio clips. I'll just play this right here. Here's a couple of clips from Speaker Voss that are playing during the top of the hour news and his response to uh, agreeing to pass Governor Evers' maps. I think a lot of the things that we have for the potential to go to the U.S. Supreme Court and win on uh, no longer are viable, which is why if the governor signs the map, I am supremely confident that that is the map that we will run on in November, whether I like it or not. And one other one here. I have said from the very beginning that I think we can win under the maps that have been presented because we have better candidates, a better message, and the ability to have hardworking people explain across the state why having Republicans in charge of the legislature is best for Wisconsin. Now, you can debate the validity of that statement. You can probably imagine how I feel about it. But at the same time, um, the what he's saying is not factually inaccurate. If the current maps that Governor Evers had passed or proposed had passed, the Republicans still would have had an edge. Something that I have been saying on this show in uh, in its entirety. I'm pretty sure all but one map that had been proposed of the seven options, six still provided Republicans with an advantage in the state. So in no way have Democrats truly taken this opportunity to skew things flagrantly in their favor. And that's not me uh, complaining about it. I'm not saying, oh, this is a missed opportunity. I don't think they realize what it is that they could have done here. They really could have gerrymandered the heck out of this the other way and got all of their all their programs passed. Yes, that is a potential option, but at the same time, that's not the right way to do things. But then... And uh, I, this is from democracydocket.com. I'm just going to read the headline to you. It doesn't even matter what's in the article. Dems skeptical of Wisconsin Republicans' willingness to pass Evers' maps. And I feel like this is a holdover from coming from people that have been experiencing this a lot longer than I have. You know what I mean? Like, I have been watching this for a year and a half, and it's been very frustrating. And the stagnation that I have been dealing with since moving out here, especially as someone who tries to come up with fresh and new content every single day, it is frustrating that the same issues seem to linger here for months, if not years, on end. So I can understand that there are Democrats in this state that are wary of what it is that, that Republicans are suggesting. They have been fighting tooth and nail this entire process. However, the battle of public opinion is not going to look good based on the fact that Governor Evers decided not to sign these maps. Every legislative and or, or, uh, assembly rather and Senate uh, Democrat voted no against the maps that Governor Evers drew. Every Republican voted yes and Governor Evers ended up vetoing it. Now, there are claims that the game plan was, because you heard Speaker Voss say it right there, he imagines this map would be the map that we see in November. Most of the people on the left are claiming that had these maps made their way to the governor and they passed, 
that uh, legislative Republicans had the means to make sure that the current iteration of the maps would have existed through the 2024 election and the new ones would take effect come January. Now, realistically, I don't think that would be the end of the world. But I also understand that when you've been pushing for something for 15 years and you finally find yourself in the position to be able to do something about it, you're not going to wait that extra till the next election. You've had enough and you want to see those changes take effect. I don't have to go into the details because I've done it several times about how every single issue that we discuss on this program, whether it's housing affordability, child care affordability, access to Medicare, legalized marijuana, access to abortion, common sense gun reform. The list goes on and on. Those all pull incredibly favorably. And our legislature has made sure that none of this has ever transpired. Part of the frustration that Republicans are dealing with here is very much being wrought by the decisions that they have made for the last 15 years. There is simply no circumventing that, that reality. But at the same time, This is now going to become a battle of messaging. I know all of you listening know that there was probably some subterfuge going on. I myself admit there's probably some subterfuge going on. My spider senses are definitely up. It it reminds me very much of... um, uh, what 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 is it? Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. When uh, one of the kids is about to, is it Augustus Gloop? I don't know. One of them when the kids are acting a fool, and then he just goes, "No, stop, don't." And then it makes everyone wonder, like, why is he indifferent towards what's happening right now? That's the way Assembly Republicans are carrying themselves right now. They're basically a bunch of Willy Wonkas, is my point. <laughs> and and it's difficult to bring yourself to trust people when they've been pulling that kind of garbage. Not to say Democrats' hands are clean, but very clearly Democratic will has been tamped down for a very considerable amount of time. But the reaction, specifically from the online right, is very babyish. I'm just going to be real with you. To pretend like what has been going on up until now has been fair and now it's skewed, you just look like a clown. You look like a fool. Be real with yourself. I'm willing to call out both sides. I'm not scared and people get frustrated. Anyone pretending like one side's hands are clean in this conversation is not being truthful or honest with themselves. Not to mention, when you look at Marquette polling, the Assembly, and specifically Speaker Voss, is polling at 17%. No one is happy right now. MAGA Republicans do not like Speaker Voss. Democrats do not like Speaker Voss. Nothing is really changing. And realistically, that is part of what being conservative is. Conservatism... I'll say it right eventually, is born from the idea that the status quo is fine, nothing needs to change. I'd argue the facts and stats and Wisconsin's economic performance bear out a very different reality from what it is that the Republican legislature is pushing right now. But the fundamental basis of conservatism is steeped in the status quo is good enough. And clearly, the people of Wisconsin, to the tune of an almost 11-point victory for Justice Janet Protosiewicz, have decided the status quo is not enough for people to be able to sustain themselves. 
So back to the drawing board we go. We have no heading here. It looks as though we are headed to the courts, and based on all Republican accounting, the courts are going to provide even more of a liberal advantage than what it was that Governor Evers' maps are proposing. If they're the last chance, the last chance we have to salvage this process is the Wisconsin Supreme Court guarantees or just essentially okays Evers' maps from the court, but just make sure that they are enacted for the 2024 election. Just to give you guys an idea of my attitude towards fair maps at this point, I have my rundown where I write it out, and it says, like, uh, Mayorkas impeached compared to Betsy DeVos, Nancy Reagan's business, Uber Lyft strike. At the bottom, it says, fair maps, parentheses, LOL. Because it's hard for me to even call it fair maps at this point. It's what needs to happen. I'm not saying it doesn't need to happen. But there's a bunch of shenanigans going on behind the scenes here. And if I were not predisposed to agreeing with what it is that Wisconsin Democrats are trying to do, I would be incredibly frustrated too. The only difference being... um, I do think that these decisions will ultimately lead to better things for the people of Wisconsin, things that the Republican Party has been getting in the way of, that we have seen other states enact mostly to overwhelming success. That is where my frustration comes from. But, but I do get why you'd be mad about things that were so clearly skewed in your favor all of a sudden switching to the other side. You have to get mad about it, right? You can't take it lying down. But at the same time, call a spade a spade. Acknowledge that it was gerrymandered. You have to. I just started off the show saying liberals need to grow up and understand that Jon Stewart can harangue Joe Biden for clearly not being as with it, while at the same time, very, very clearly not stumping for Trump. It's the same idea, but on the other side. You cannot clap for Jon Stewart for calling out Joe Biden for what he, what he is, and then say the maps were fine the way they are. You don't get to play both sides like that. I call that garbage out every single day and twice on Sundays. I do want to hit Tim here. He says, uh, good morning. It is, is it possible that many in our area are worried that if President Biden became incapacitated in any way that VP Harris would have to take over? After all, Governor Evers beat MAGA Michaels by a bunch and MAGA Senator Johnson squeaked by a young black man without any MAGA baggage. I believe racism is alive here in Wisconsin. Racism is probably a more prevalent decision than people want to admit to. You know, I believe it's out there, Tim. But at the same time, I'm not willing to admit I can point out things that I don't like about Kamala Harris and none of them have anything to do with how many X chromosomes she has or the color of her skin. Like, I can highlight why I'm frustrated with that woman. You're completely right. There most certainly is an element of that out there, much like there's an element when uh, Barack Obama was running. I remember young Ben uh, in 2011 being mad watching pollsters going around saying, uh, asking uh, black people on the street, is there is there anything Mitt Romney can do to win your vote? And they would say, yeah, turn black. And I'd be like, ah, these racists. I eventually grew up to understand why it was that they were talking the way that they were. And Mitt Romney was trash. I did vote for him, though, unfortunately. Don't take my card. I blew it. I know I blew it. I wasn't paying enough attention. But nevertheless, I... Uh, 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 to that effect, I don't know how much it plays into that situation. Don't get me wrong. The diversity in the Fox cities is very different than 
from the area where I'm coming from. That's for sure. It is not nearly as diverse. I'm living in a diverse area, but I have not come across anybody overtly saying things that I'm all like, oh boy, don't let anyone film you saying that. That hasn't been my experience. I'm not saying it's not out there, but that hasn't been my experience. But again, it's also not like I'm bouncing around to all of these incredibly diverse places either. So maybe I'm oblivious to what's going on here. But there is an element of you have to wonder, based on the decline you've seen over the last three years of President Biden, and we'll be talking about this much more in depth with the professors, by the way, um, the idea of could he make it another five years from today is very much a question that needs to be asked and taken seriously. And if he can't, are you comfortable with President Harris? And I know plenty of you listening kind of shuddered at the thought right now, present company included, but I do get your point there, Tim, that that definitely is an element of that that probably goes into it. But I have to believe that is shrinking more and more. I don't even buy into the narrative that Donald Trump is a racist. He sometimes will say things to gin up people with racist beliefs, which inherently is racist. But if a black man with billions of dollars wanted to do business with Donald Trump, I promise you, he would do business with them. He would not let the race of the guy get in the way of it. He does not hate minorities. He hates poor people. It just so happens that poor overwhelmingly skews into minority uh, cases here. So that's why it looks the way it does. But I don't like painting over all Trump supporters with this, oh, they're all bigots kind of argument, because I cannot stress enough the cl- the frustration that, that uh, Trump-based re- Trump Republicans have is real. I just don't think they aim their efforts in the right way. Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are two sides of the same coin. I just don't take Donald Trump uh, seriously. And as I've also mentioned, you've heard the rhetoric about the wall in Mexico. We're noticing that the rhetoric is no longer based on these Mexicans or or rapists and murderers. And they're come. Well, I guess that's a little bit more of it, but it's no longer they're coming to take your jobs. It's all about American security now, and it's terrorism and things like that. They've kind of dropped a lot of the dog whistling. Not all of it, but it's not as prevalent as it was. The more we all communicate with one another, the less that stuff has a chance to proliferate. And that's a net positive as far as I'm concerned. I do appreciate the comment, though, and that was definitely some good food for thought, that's for sure. Um, All right. And to that effect, we're going to put a pin in that right there. We've got a ton more to jump into. Short segment on the other side of the break. Then the professor stay right where you're at. This is Outside the Box here on WHBY. Hey guys, it's the worst time of season. Tax time is here. Get the latest in tax prep information from Tax Law to hot trends, including the increased prevalence of self-employment and telecommuting with Bloomberg Tax Tips. Weekdays at 6.25 a.m. and 5.20 p.m. Brought to you by Healing & Associates and WHBY. 
Just a quick suggestion. Instead of tax tips, just make a whole, whole lot of money, and then you just don't have to pay taxes. Taxes are for suckers, you know? The people who work for a living and then try and do the right things. And, you know, hate to encourage that in this country. Um, We've got so much still to jump into here, guys. Uh, You're going to want to listen to the entire thing. We've got a whole hour with the professors coming up in the 10 o'clock hour. It's always a good one. Fan favorite amongst a bunch of you guys. Don't worry. I don't take that too personally. uh, and if you can't listen to the entire thing, make sure you download that WHBY app powered by Christensen Heating and Air Conditioning. All you got to do is search WHBY in Google Play or in the App Store. It's free, easy to use, and it gives you the ability to go back, not just listen to this show, but listen to any show. And I've noticed more and more of you are going back and listening to the first show I ever did, and you're psyching me out. All right? I don't know why it's happening. I don't know, I don't know who's doing it, but it's psyching me out nonetheless. Because uh, the show has only gotten better as time has gone on. But I think it's a fun time capsule. We have every single show of Outside the Box and realistically all of the uh, WHBY programming available on that app there. So I'd highly recommend giving it a download if you haven't already. Again, I can't stop saying it till everyone in the state downloads it. So realistically, if you're tired of hearing me saying it, it's mostly your fault if you haven't downloaded it yet, you know? So uh, go ahead and get that on your phone. That way we can always be in touch with you guys. And, of course, it provides you with breaking news updates. I get a lot of those, whether it's Amber Alerts, traffic incidents, live shooter moments, all of the things that are happening in the fuck cities that you would be made aware of as you're beginning your commute for the day, all funneled directly into your phone automatically. So definitely worth the investment as far as I'm concerned. Um. Uh, so with that, we're going to be talking to the professors in just a little bit here about a number of different issues. If you haven't been watching the news the last 24 hours, the special election took place yesterday in the same district where George Santos was once the representative. It's officially flipped blue. Uh, so that's giving the conservatives now a two seat majority in the House of Representatives as a result of this uh, election here. Uh, interrupted by a Palestine uh, uh, protester, which, by the way, real quick, the person got chucked off the stage in the online reaction. I was like, people need to start treating protesters like this all the time. And I responded to them saying, I'm old enough to remember when liberals lost their mind when Donald Trump said to rough up protesters. I guess we've changed our mind on that now. I'm sure that's the only instance of that, of course. But he won his election. Good news for him. Really don't know a thing about the guy. But I think that is an important uh, note, and I, I feel like it's important for me to bring this up as the professors are coming in here. Uh, we talk about polling a lot. It's not perfect, but it's the best snapshot we can get. Um, this shows that there is a real chance for Democrats to really make some hay in the House of Representatives. Santos won by a ten point sw- uh, by ten points back in 2022, not that long ago. This candidate now won by about six points. We're talking about a 16-point swing in less than two years in that particular house, in a seat that had been trending red. Now, was it tainted a little bit because there was literally a cartoon villain that had been uh, put into that seat for the last couple of years? Sure. And if I'm being honest, this is the part of myself that I really do not like coming out to talk to you guys really quick. Post him being in Congress, I find George Santos absolutely captivating. I can't look away anytime I see him on TV. Just his mannerisms, his inflections, his delivery of words, I cannot get past what that guy is. I can't stop with him. It's it's cartoonish, and I I cannot stand that I like it, and I can't stop liking it. But so, it bodes well for Democrats and really kind of spits in the face of polling 
uh, in regards to the futures for Democrats. I do not believe for one second that that should change anybody's opinion on the future of the presidential race. The way I'm looking at this shaking out right now is I think the House of Representatives might be the only thing standing in the way of a clean sweep. Don't hold me to that. We got nine more months. And believe you me, we'll be jumping into this conversation about Biden's competency and what this is going to mean for the future of uh, of of politics in this country. We're going to be talking about Mike Gallagher's departure at the end of his term as a result of his decision that he made in the Mayorkas impeachment. We'll probably be touching on the Mayorkas impeachment a little bit and wrapping things up with a little bit of a President's Day special here that I think you guys aren't going to want to miss. So stay right here. Both the professors from Lawrence University on the other side of the news. This is Outside the Box on WHBY. We're back to Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos here on WHBY. Outside the Box is brought to you by Hooper Law Office, providing a pathway to your legacy. Jam-packed first hour, as per usual, rolling on to the second one here. Definitely look forward to this. Joined by both of the professors from Lawrence University, Jerry Poder and Arnold Schober. I'll tell you guys what, there's sometimes when I'm like, boy, I really hope they have ideas because I have no idea what we're going to talk about. And then there's other weeks where I'm like, you know, this one we're not going to be able to cram into just one hour here. And I would say this week has kind of fallen into the ladder here. How are you guys doing this morning? Very, very well. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. Same to you. You're triggering me right now. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, some people, when, when they think of St. Uh, Valentine's Day, they think of love. Others think of capitalism. Yes. Yes, so that and I guess do. you're in the latter category. Yeah. You, you, you know, Karen Schneider, publisher of the Oshkosh Herald and Nina News, did say to me to start the show off. She's like, you know, it's not all about love. They're like, sometimes maybe just reach out to that person in your life that maybe doesn't have a whole lot going on in the right. romantic yeah. side of things. You reach out to them, send candy, or go spend an evening with them. And I absolutely love that idea because I know holidays yeah. tend to get some people down. That's for sure. Right. Either of you guys have plans. Uh, we're <laughs> well, we're we're both we both have wives, right? <laughs> well, and and, and actually, uh, my father-in-law's birthday is today, oh. and really? we're going to go visit them in Illinois. So oh, nice for oh. for my wife's family. This is birthday season okay. <laughs> rather than oh, okay. Valentine's okay. season. So, so you're gonna go this weekend? This weekend, yeah. Oh, okay. You're gonna yeah. celebrate President's Day. We're gonna celebrate 80th birthday. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. President's Day is a big holiday for me, <laughs> but not as big as Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, you gotta be careful. With that. I heard you and your wife both like food, which is nice that you guys have that in common. That's still. that's right. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I like to eat. There is no question about that, and uh, that's what we're going to be doing tonight. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic stuff. I'm happy. Oh, that sounds like a great time for both of you guys. Uh, I will be prepping tomorrow's show. Now, with, that, <laughs> with that, though, uh, let, you know, before we get into it, everyone's going to be sick and tired of me bringing this up. But one of my biggest role models entered the chat yesterday, so I had to, I had to jump in. I found out, Jerry, uh, you have never even watched a full episode of The Daily Show. I the, have the not, and the, the reason I have not is it goes back to the beginnings of the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, when 
it, a trend started where especially young people began to get their news from these comedy shows. Yeah. And being a traditionalist, sure. uh, it sort of bothered me that they were not watching you know, the cable news or the network news. <laughs> they were watching Jon Stewart. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, now, since that time, I think I've mellowed out a little. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you can probably do as well with Jon Stewart as you can uh, with, with the network or cable shows. I but at the beginning, fair. I remember saying, I, I'm just not going to watch this because this is not real news. Yeah. And Arnold, you said you thought the discourse was a welcome change of pace compared to what we've been dealing with here from the brief snippets of it that you were yeah, able to Yeah, sure. And, and actually, I in my media class that I teach at Lawrence, I show a clip of Stuart in 2004 where he crossfire. takes Crossfire, Heck that yes. famous clip, yes. because that kind of pre- presages some of the things he has done over the last 20 years. Like, you know what? Uh, Biden is not so hot. Trump's not so hot. And here's why. And why aren't people talking about these things? Mm. And so he has been able, with his perspective, to say, you know what? Someone must be awake somewhere to talk about issues that, that, that matter yeah. to kind of ordinary kinds of people. And I think I show that to think about, well, what is it about news that we seem to be lacking yeah. that someone like a comedian yeah. right, can bring and talk about? Uh, and so I think it, to, yeah. to the extent that he can keep on that shtick in his new revived form, right, I think he'll he'll add something to the, the media universe. Well, maybe what we lack today is the fairness doctrine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, And, and really, when though. the fairness doctrine went, you know, uh, when when Rush Limbaugh passed away, they uh, there was a lot of talk that the repeal of the fairness doctrine, the Federal Communications Commission's fairness doctrine in the late 1980s made it possible for radio talk show hosts like Rush Limbaugh to exist mm-hmm. and to prosper. Uh, uh, the, what the fairness doctrine did was it forced uh, it forced news organizations into the middle, basically. Yeah, uh, it forced them uh, to, uh, to to illuminate both sides and oh. or at least to try to. I let uh, the and li- that's gone now. I let the listeners know all the time. The fact that I try and portray things evenly is my tr- I'm in no way obligated in this right, job. Right, I right, can do exactly. whatever I want. Yeah. I could turn yeah. this microphone yeah. on and say the Mexicans are coming yeah. and yeah. There's, there's nothing that can stop me. And, here. and there's you know, there are obviously a lot of people on talk radio uh, who, who will who will do that. So, yeah, oh, for sure. So I think that makes you a little different. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. But yeah, yeah I would highly recommend, Jerry, if you haven't seen it, I rewatched it yesterday, Arnold, for, for my sixth time, the uh, Crossfire talk. It's surreal because yeah. Tucker Carlson, A, is on CNN. And, and then, right, right, and then right. two, he just, for 14 minutes, it's almost hard to watch. And I'm in media, but he just undresses mainstream media on the show. It was actually canceled the next day. It was. <laughs> yes, they yeah. shut it down. Yeah, based on his reaction. Definitely worth a listen for all of you guys at home too not for the next hour of course though (laughs) (laughs) and to that effect in the next segment i would like to jump into some of the claims made not specifically by stewart but by other people in the media about the competency of the president but i do want to start on the wisconsin level here first because something very big has transpired just at the end of last week if not even earlier uh, at the beginning of this week here Representative Mike Gallagher, viewed by many as one of the last reasonable voices, uh, I think that's fair to say, in the House of Representatives, specifically on the right, uh, came out against the impeachment of Mayorkas. People thought maybe he might be the one to replace Senator Ron Johnson at the end of his term. A lot of hopes for this guy. All of a sudden, he's no longer in the picture anymore. So let's just start with that. I've only been here for a year and a half. Arnold, you take it away. What does this What does this say to you about the state of Wisconsin politics right now? Well, I, I think um, 
it, it is a, it's a loss to the House because whether you're on the right or the left, Mike Gallagher was willing to talk with you and to come with cogent reasons for his position, and he would listen to you. Now, again, he may not vote the way you liked, but you never got the sense that he was grandstanding or that mm-hmm. he was in it for himself, right, which comes across from many politicians. And in his comments, he said he always viewed it as a deployment. I think the GOP wish it would have been a longer right. deployment. Uh, and he certainly has a lot of kind of political benefit. Uh, and he, I, I mean, he served Congress well in his time in the in the lens of being a, a representative who kind of speaks his mind, but has a reasoned uh, has reasoned discourse. And I think uh, he, the other comment he made is that the Congress is no place to grow old in. I'm mm-hmm. not sure if that was meant to be a knock. I somehow doubt it. Um, <laughs> but but the but the idea that uh, you want to serve in Congress for a greater good or for kind of to be clicheish the people, right? It's hard to do that. I think you saw similar frustration from Joe Manchin, it also who is kind of in the mushy middle, but he wants to have a debate and he wants to discuss issues. But fewer and fewer people in Congress want to actually listen and have that debate if they haven't been told which side they're on already. Uh, I think it's a tremendous loss, not just for Congress, but for the Republican Party, Uh, uh, because uh, Gallagher represents the reasoned, uh, uh, a calm, rational side of the party. And frankly, the sight of Mike Gallagher being harangued and harassed by various uh, Republican legislators uh, because of his vote, his initial vote, uh, against the impeachment of Mayorkas. I mean, that's quite a scene. You have Marjorie Taylor Greene basically, you know, shaking her fist in Mike Gallagher's face, you know, uh, basically uh, uh, threatening him. Uh, And frankly, however we might view uh, Gallagher ideologically, uh, uh, he he's worth a hundred Marjorie Taylor Greens. And just to pile onto what you're saying, and you can finish your thought. That uh, I don't know if you're aware, she's actually going to be in charge of the process now, right. which is why right. she's been the biggest cheerleader for what it is. We're right. I mean, at she here. introduced the resolution, and if there's going to be a trial in the Senate, uh, uh, she's going to be a major part of it. Uh, is that necessarily going to help the Republican Party going forward? Uh, because obviously, they don't have the votes in the Senate to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, and that's one of the arguments that Gallagher and only two other Republicans were, were making, that yeah. this is an exercise in futility. But the other argument that Gallagher was making, and I think this really goes to the nature of what where the Republican Party and the Democratic Party want to go in the future, is Gallagher is arguing, look, This sets a really bad precedent. Uh, This does not amount to high crimes and misdemeanors, what Mayorkas is doing as Homeland Security uh, Secretary. Uh, These are policy differences. We disagree with him on policy grounds, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, we think he's doing a terrible job on policy grounds, but that is not impeachment, okay? That is not impeachment worthy. And what Gallagher was arguing is that down the road, five years from now, 10 years from now, we Republicans will be uh, in the White House, perhaps, uh, and we will uh, appoint a Homeland Security Secretary, uh, and the Democrats will go after him, uh, them, uh, on policy grounds uh, Mm -hmm. to try to impeach them. So we set a bad precedent here. What other Republicans, most other Republicans are saying is almost despairingly, 
The Democrats are going to go after us no matter what we do. They are not in five or ten years to say, to say you know, back in 2024, the Republicans could have tried to impeach Mayorkas, but they didn't do it because it would set a bad precedent. And we Democrats will now do the same thing. What most Republicans are arguing, and they may have a point here, is the Democrats are going to break the rules also. It doesn't matter what we do. Uh, to full disclosure, I actually made a very similar argument on this show about the filibuster. Uh, mm -hmm. People saying we don't want to remove it for this reason because we don't want Republicans to do the opposite when they have the control. And I said, I'm going to be real. Now that it's on the table, the moment it can be used, I have a feeling it will get used. It, and, and it I, was. I, I think there's it a well, Mitch missed McConnell opportunity. Well, Mitch Harry Reid, you're going to rue the day yeah. very famously. Okay, uh, Harry Reid's dead now, uh, uh, but <laughs> yeah. you know his legacy lives on. Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch, yeah. uh, 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 and Amy Coney Barrett. Okay, so uh, I am not allowed to cite my source here. It makes me feel like a New York Times. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm not allowed to cite my source here. I have heard though that Republicans in the House believe that, believed that Ga uh, Gallagher was a yes vote up until the vote actually happened. They had no reason to believe that he was going to vote the way he did. In our email discourse setting up the show, I kind of positioned it that I believe this was Gallagher's McCain moment. Right. One last F you, as you know, you're on your way out the door. Right. Do you think there's any validity to that? Is he frustrated with the fact that he seems to be representing a breed of Republican that might not be as prevalent anymore? And this was one final moment to be like, I don't think this is right. Or obviously we're speculating here mm -hmm. and I'm operating off of a source that I cannot name. But so, so what are you thinking here, Arnold? I mean, I think that Gallagher has been frustrated in the House uh, in the same way some of our recent kind of Republicans in particular have been frustrated in the House as well. Um, in that there's this intransigence of, of wanting to engage. Uh, I, I think that he, Gallagher, was very proud of the, the bipartisan committee. He always talks about his Democratic colleagues on, the, on his China committee. Yeah. Right, and I think he's just frustrated with some of the grandstanding. I know that he was very frustrated with George Santos and the difficulty the Republicans had expelling him. Yeah. Um, He's grown on me, but yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and, but and now they've lost that seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he's been increasingly frustrated. So you may have a point that he was like, this is enough. I've already decided in my head that I'm yes. going to be leaving, and I just want to make a point that we can't govern this way. It's not good for the country. Right. And the, you know, the McCain moment that we referred to was McCain's vote basically to save Obamacare. Uh, the, you know, he was the last vote. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, uh, I should have. I should have. Yeah, yeah right. thank you. That was I, I, <laughs> I remember you. it was like at two in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, and he basically voted to save Obamacare. The big thumbs down. It's yeah. probably hanging on people's walls in some yeah. places. Yeah, because he knew he was leaving. And, and you know, I think that, that Gallagher was a great example of, of bipartisanship that we don't see all that much of. You know, in his, in his own quiet way, he actually did a lot of good things for Lawrence University. Uh, and worked, uh, uh, you know, he he worked with the administration at Lawrence. And remember, this is a Republican. They don't like higher education. Sure. Uh, but, you know, he was willing to, you know, willing to do that. So I think he really was an excellent uh, congressman. Uh, I think he'll be missed. Uh, now, in terms of the influence that he is now going to have out of Congress, you know, you got to be very careful. Sometimes you think, well, I'll leave Congress and maybe I'll go on, go into the media or whatever. Sure. You lose a lot of influence. It's it's very a, a very, very different thing to be 
uh, a talking head on Fox, let's say, sure, uh, uh, as 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 it is to actually be in power. Right. You know, to, you know, power is important and you have that power even if you're frustrated in the House. You don't necessarily have that on Fox News. Trey Gowdy, uh, uh, Jason Chaffetz, uh, Scott Brown, all former legislators who ended up on Fox News, they don't have anywhere near the influence that they did when they were in Congress. Paul Ryan would be another and one. Paul Ryan. Right? Yeah. Well, Paul Ryan isn't on Fox he's News. He's not on yeah, Fox yeah, News, yeah. but he he, he yeah. stepped down. He's teaching yeah. somewhere. Right. But I mean, who, yeah. who, I mean yeah. who is he, right? You don't see much right. of him. Right. No. So that's something that they forget <laughs> oftentimes when they, you know, they get frustrated with the process and they get frustrated with Washington. But once they leave, they lose their influence. I, I, I think that's a tremendous point as well. I mean, the same thing happens in sports, right? Uh, Rob Gronkowski was one of the biggest things. He's great at what he does as a broadcaster, but you're telling me he has the same kind of reach that he did as a tight end. Please. Well, that, that's that's what's probably going to bother Bill Belichick uh, you know, for the rest of his life. He's not in the game anymore. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah. just some guy in a hood now. Yeah, you're uh, you're sweet, uh, sweet talking to me now with that kind of talk. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, I got one more question on this, and I didn't tell you guys I was going to ask it because I wanted a, a candid response here. And you both work in education, so I'm right. interested. When Democrats seized control of the House uh, back in 2018 after Trump became president, Betsy DeVos universally was viewed as someone who uh, disparaged education. She had no business in that position. She was a billionaire, made education weaker. Would you have liked to see Democrats behave the way Republicans are behaving now? Or do, like you just said, if, if we didn't, if Republicans didn't do this, some people in Congress say, well, Democrats would have done it anyway. I argue they don't they are not willing to break norms like that to the same extent because Betsy DeVos was ripe for this kind of moment for the same rationale. I'm not saying it should have happened, but I'm saying that is probably the closest equivalent I could think of from the Trump cabinet. Would you have wanted to see something like that or no? No. no. Yeah, I mean, I, I think perhaps not as, as uh, forthright as an example, but uh, presidents all the time appoint people in positions that have very little connection to their subject. Mm -hmm. uh, Mayor Pete be an example from right. the Biden administration. What does he know about transportation policy? More now than when he started. Sure. But he wasn't any, in any means qualified, for qualified whatever yeah. that means, yeah. for the job. And so I, I don't think it's it's unique to, to Betsy DeVos. So okay. I, I mean, sure, it was a you know very obvious example of someone who was at odds with the department culture, but I, I don't think that we expect that much. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and also, impeachment should be very, very rare. 150 in years, right? Exactly, in American yeah. political life. And once you open that Pandora's box, uh, uh, that's what I would say to, you know, to the impeachers of Mayorkas. In five years or 10 years, this is going to come back at you. So you got to be really careful, and especially since it's futile. It's not going to happen. It's one thing if there was a chance that it would happen in the Senate, but there's no chance. So it's all symbolic. Do you really want to go down this road or five, five in five or ten years? And, of course, as we said earlier, their response would be the Democrats will do it anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter what we do. So I, I think this is really the Republican version of the redistricting stuff on the left, right? Yeah. Both sides are wanting – they actually – in, in their heart of hearts, they want a proportional representation parliamentary system because then you have an election, the leader changes, right? The president's, uh -huh. the prime minister's out, a new prime minister comes in, you get to change the whole cabinet. But we don't have that. And so there's this frustration is how can we change the government 
when we can't change the government right. and we, we impeach them or we redistrict them out, right? There's, it's both sides are trying to have that parliamentary approach within a system where it's not right. suited. They get right. impatient for the next election. You know, they have to wait for the next election. The way to get rid of Mayorkas is to elect, uh, to elect another president who is going to appoint a Homeland Security director, a secretary with a completely different philosophy on the migrants, okay? That's the way it's done. But at this point, we're all very impatient. We don't want to wait for the next election, so impeachment is the other option. I'm a firm believer. Maybe I'm in tinfoil hat territory, but I think this was an effort to trivialize the act of impeachment in general. I mean, it's the way I talk about censuring right now. No, no one my age takes censuring seriously. If you right. tell me someone was censured, it does. It doesn't even right. register. And, and I in, feel like impeachment is headed yeah, down in, that exact in, in same In my alley. age, and I'm older than everybody here, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, censure was a major, major thing. Right. In the 1960s, Thomas Dodd was senator from Connecticut, father of Christopher Dodd. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was censured. And and that was a big deal. In 1954, Joe McCarthy was censured. That was a huge deal. At this point, it's it's like the, you're dealing out playing cards. You put it on the wall. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, look at my, my diplomas and my censure diploma. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I said people wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah. Oh, they censure me for saying the things they don't want you to hear. Yeah. And there yeah. we go. Yeah. Oh, or, or a mugshot, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're doing. Right, right. Uh, Arnold Chover, Jerry Podere, the professors from Lawrence University. We're breaking down the political scene right now. We have two options of where we're going to take this. It's going to be a surprise, though. We'll talk during the break on what way we're taking it. You're listening to Outside the Box with Ben Cominos right here on WHBY. I was 14 years old. There isn't a 14 or there's very few 14 year olds. If Jerry Poder is listening, I'm sure he probably would be filed into this category. But very few 14 year olds <laughs> actively partake in watching the news. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, when I was 14 and actually earlier, I'm embarrassed to say this. I could not only recite all the presidents, I could recite all the vice presidents, the defeated presidential candidates. And God help me, the defeated vice president. <laughs> I can't Get away. Do that from age, Harry. I, <laughs> I could also, in fairness, give you the score of every World Series game. Oh, yeah. Not just the winning and losing uh, teams. <laughs> I could, like, if you ask me, I again, I can't do it anymore. Uh, game five, 1937 World Series, what was the score? I could give you that. See, you're talking my language now. Yeah. For, up until very recently, I could yeah. do that with Super Bowls. But you're, so you're as you can see, I viewed language. politics as sports. Yeah, you and me both, <laughs> man. You yeah. and me both. That's the voice of Jerry Podair, Arnold Chover, sitting here with us as well. Both the professors from Lawrence University jumping into the biggest political topics of the day. Um, you know... Recently, last week, recently enough, a report came out essentially absolving President Biden of the documents case. And I don't think that is up for debate. Maybe in some circles on this show, it is not up for debate anymore. Um, With that, though, there was a little bit of extra comments there about the age and capacity for this person to be the president, his memory. Did he remember when his son passed away? Things of that nature. Um, I have been talking about it ever since there. And that's not to say that Donald Trump does not have some of these exact same issues lingering as well. But I have to say, 
holding up the two of them, at the very least I can say person, woman, man, camera, TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I know that he at least will remember that. Um, <laughs> things are not looking great for the, uh, for the president right now. And I do have some results yesterday from an election that I want to jump into. But before we get into that at all, I do want your just initial reaction to, is this a cause from c- c- for concern or is this embellishment by a, a uh, according to, uh, by all accounts, a right-leaning special counsel that maybe gave his party a favor here. What are your thoughts there? Well, special counsels are nobody's friend, right? Yeah. So ask Clinton or Nixon or anyone else, right? But I think it, it's not good, right? So if you think back to 2016, you had that report from the FBA about Hillary Clinton's email. Now, was it here or there? Who knows? But it was very bad politically because it was in the news. It got lots of... of Got lots of time sure. on the air, and it reinforces things people already think about Biden. It wasn't that people thought he was like at the top of his game before the report came out, and this just reinforces it with the imprimatur of right official uh, Department of Justice people. Right, and you know, special counsels, just like judges, should basically just decide what is in front of them. And what was in front of this special counsel was, did he break the law and should he be uh, indicted on, you know, obviously on, on the classified documents question. Once he reached that, that should have been the end of it. But he threw in those lines that might doom uh, 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 President Biden's uh, re-election campaign. And I think part of it is is it reinforced some worries that Democrats have all, in the party have already had, um, that... Uh, Biden has positioned himself as the only person who can run against Donald Trump, which is not true. Yeah. But he's positioned about that. And then what that's made Democrat uh, Party people defend President Biden. It's like, yes, he really is. And he's really great and wonderful. And, and you just don't see it. And this report comes out. It kind of makes them look bad. But it also reinforces things they're already worried about. But now, again, it's in public People could people on the right can point to it. People in the middle can say, well, I had my doubts, but now this seems kind of serious. And so I, I don't I mean, it's not a throwaway document. I know the Democratic Party and Biden clearly is very upset about it, but it's not from nowhere. It's not like right. we didn't have some suspicions earlier of particular weaknesses. Now, should that make someone more or less likely to vote for Biden? That's for them to decide, but it certainly doesn't help the president. But, you know, in fairness to the special counsel, uh, uh, Biden confirmed a lot of what was in that report with that disastrous uh, press conference, which, you know, apparently his staff advised him against doing and that he insisted on doing uh, and that he made it. He actually which he made even worse after he had left. He came back, and as he was coming back, that's where it you know, fell apart. The, yeah, the, yeah. I'm, I'm saying to myself, "Don't do this." Yeah, you know, don't just keep. You're probably better off just keep right on walking. Yeah. Uh, but he comes back, uh, and that's when he starts to get really confused. And you know, obviously, the American people have a right to know this. So, you know, when you're criticizing the special counsel here, you know, you're killing the messenger. What do you think it says about the state of American political discourse right now that the, the other candidate running against Joe Biden right now was found guilty civilly uh, for $83 million? I know. And that was in and out of the news cycle, and this has been lingering for as long as it has. Is that just the Trump effect? Is it that 
maybe uh, liberal voters are more concerned with the age of Biden rather than Republicans thinking that this is all a witch hunt, all of these cases. How do we find ourselves in a position where that disappears from the discourse like that? And it seems as though this report for Biden might be lingering around for the foreseeable future. I think some of it is that that um, part of Trump's brand really is being in court. His whole career has been in court. He yeah. loses cases. Oh, well, yeah, bef- well, I mean, before well before he was before a candidate. The, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, back yeah. into the eighties. He's. I mean, this is why he's he has a, a monopoly game named after him. Right? Yeah. Um, he's. He, I so, have that game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is this is part of his brand. So I think it it doesn't set off the same kinds of alarm bells as it might if it were a first time in court. Uh, that doesn't, I mean, again, it doesn't d- diminish that, but it's just not news, so to speak, right? Yeah. It, this isn't man bites dog. It's dog uh-huh. bites man, to use the journalism example. It's, it's almost normalized. Uh, uh, with, That's the vibe you, I get. what you've come pretty much to expect, and it, it's almost, you know, uh, for his supporters, it's just the way it is. For his opponents, this is just the way it is. But with Biden, this is, you know, this this is new. Uh and of course, you know how we came to this point where we have these two candidates that so many Americans are dissatisfied with. Uh, uh, you know, this is a political system that has produced a Washington, a Lincoln, a Theodore Roosevelt, a Franklin Roosevelt, a Harry Truman, almost by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, a great leader, uh, uh, and yet here we are. Yeah. Um... I always equate it to a business that has been around for like four generations and like the great grandfather built it yep, and really yep, took it seriously. Yep. And then with every further, <laughs> yes. now we're at the point where it's like, how can we chop this up and sell it for yeah. parts? Yeah, and yeah. that's that's <laughs> the, what the system's producing you know, now. The decline of the Adams family, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> and I don't mean the Adams family, the television. No, I no, did. No, I no, took I, it that know, way. John, it shows where you're coming from yeah. you know, culturally. Like uh, those are your yeah. cultural references. But, you know, yeah. John Adams, President of the United States, his son John Quincy yes. Adams, President of the United States, you devolve from there basically. Yes. By the 20th century, you got alcoholics. You got yes, exactly. You know, and and I think uh, to some extent, uh, you can you can call the American political system a failing family business. <laughs> That's the I have made that analogy before. I do want to ask: um, there was an election yesterday in the uh, in New York for George yeah. Santos's seat. I believe it was the third district. Didn't write it down. Yep. <laughs> okay. Good. Yep. Um, the, uh, the Democrat ended up winning. Now, George Santos won that seat in 2022 by 10 points. This was a six-point win. I set this conversation up in the 9 o'clock hour saying, you know, the polling, specifically that Marquette poll that just came out in Wisconsin, shows Trump and Biden at 50-50. Results like this might give Democrats some hope. From my perspective, are you guys seeing it through that lens, or are you seeing something different transpire here? Well, I think a couple of things to note. First is that that election shows us that we have an element of stasis in our system, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in that it's not going to be a blowout year for Republicans or Democrats. Uh, but more specifically to that district, it's important to keep in mind that the district had been redrawn since the time that Santos won it so that there were, in fact, more Democrats in the district than there were last time, two years ago. Well, not quite two years ago now, which means it's hard to draw a direct connection between his 10-point victory and and then the Democrats' six-point victory this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a little bit of nuance there. um, Yeah. Yeah. What... uh, uh, 
the the redistricting process in New York State uh, uh, makes the one in Wisconsin look benign, basically. <laughs> uh, uh, over the last two or three years, there have been a number of court cases in New York. Uh, the high court in New York has uh, drawn and redrawn and now redrawn again the districts. And this particular district... Uh, uh, Queens, which is heavily Democratic, part of New York City, was added to this district uh, through, you know, by the by the court, and that's the big change from two years ago. So George Santos ran in a district that was almost completely suburban, suburban New York, Long Island, uh, uh, substantially Republican. Uh, this district was. Republican in Long Island, uh, but also heavily Democratic in the parts of Queens that were added. And I haven't broken down the numbers yet, but I'd be very interested to see how much of Swazi's, uh, the Democrat, his victory came from those uh, uh, Queens precincts. Yeah, so I think if, if Democrats can take hope from it is that, indeed, they can win races despite the president's troubles, mm-hmm. I mean, continuing troubles uh, with polling. Um, but also Republicans shouldn't, like, throw up their hands and say it's all over either because on both sides, they're, they're, this race is almost a reversion to the mean, I think, for where it is in New York and right. kind of the general political nature of the country. And also uh, the idea of running to the center. Tom Swasey, who was the victor in yes. this, a former congressman, former gubernatorial candidate, uh, uh, is a he would consider himself a centrist mainstream Democrat. He is not AOC. He is not in the squad. You know, uh, that's not the kind of Democrat All I is. watched was his victory speech, and it was emanating off of him. I'm like, oh, I can already tell I won't be happy with this guy's voting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he, I mean, he took many kind of cues, if you will, from kind of contemporary Republican talking points, particularly yeah. around immigration. And so it's clear that he was thinking that was an issue he might be attacked on, which he was. Yeah. And he said, well, you know what? I'm not what you think I am. I'm going to actually do what she, the opponent, would have done. Yeah. <laughs> because that district and that area is on fire in terms of the migrants. I mean, that, yes. that part New York, of New yeah. York. Uh, you know, his opponent, the Republican opponent, Pellup, was uh, photographed uh, uh, in front of migrant camps, in front of mm-hmm. migrant shelters, made that a huge issue. And it's a huge issue for, for, for New Yorkers. And it's a huge issue for Democrats as well as Republicans. Initial reporting I'm seeing is saying it actually resonated more with voters over the abortion issue. Not to say that's well, not important, but isn't yeah. that an interesting development well, that's, here? that's, you know, uh, 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 that is a huge, huge issue. And if the Republicans lose in November, a lot of it will have to do with abortion. It's, it's, a, it's an issue that galvanizes Democrats. It's a personal issue. It will get you to vote. It will, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's a personal issue that's going to affect your life. And, and when people say, this is going to affect my life, this is not theoretical, this is real, that's when they vote. I I think that's a pretty accurate assessment there. I'll tell you what, we'll put a pin in the conversation right there. Gary, I see you texted. We do have a little bit more we have to get into. If we can get your question in, we definitely will. We're talking with both uh, Arnold Schober and Jerry Podair from Lawrence University, breaking down all the political uh, stories of the day. We're on uh, we're en route to uh, Jerry's favorite holiday here, President's Day, and we do <laughs> want to at least jump into at least a little bit of conversation about this some, uh, for the final couple of minutes of Outside the Box, talking about the history of presidents and what it means to hold them up in reverence from all these different periods of time that really don't reflect maybe 
some of our morals and values of the day. But that conversation will be in just a couple of minutes. This is Outside the Box with Ben Kaminos here on WHBY. Hey guys, Men Who Cook returns to the Oshkosh Convention Center Saturday, February 24th. It's an evening of fundraising for Christine Ann Domestic Abuse Services. Enjoy cuisine from gentlemen in our community, including WHBY's very own Jonathan Krause and, of course, his trusty sous chef, me, Ben Kaminos, <laughs> heading the community events page at whby.com. To grab your tickets today, it's at about 60% capacity already. Plenty more to be sold, though. I've been told I'm not allowed to touch or help in any way. I am just there to pass out food and get you. I'm the eye candy of the event. That's what I told Jonathan. Uh, if you, you hear yeah. laughing in the background, we're joined by uh, Jerry Poder and Arnold Schober from Lawrence University. We've been jumping into a number of conversations today uh, around the political discourse surrounding Mike Gallagher's departure from Congress, Joe Biden's competency as president. We're going to wrap up the show, though, on a little bit more of a high-level conversation now that we are celebrating President's Day as much as we possibly can celebrate President's Day in this day and age. Jerry, as the historian, I'm going to defer to you for the first part of this question here. Or realistically, it's the only part of the question, but just to start the, uh, to start to get the conversation rolling here. Uh, in an era where cancel culture has become so prevalent, we're tearing down statues of Christopher Columbus. People want Gandhi torn down. You can go down the list. Uh, 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 what do you uh, Civil War generals getting torn right. down. It goes. You might agree with some of these. You might think right. some of these are nonsense. But we've opened a Pandora's box. There is no circumventing the fact that there are presidents from eras of history that have done some questionable things. How do we go about celebrating this holiday, recognizing what these people meant to this country and the development of society in general, while also acknowledging, yeah, of course there were some shortcomings, it was a different era? By acknowledging that it was a different era. Yeah. And that, that, that's, that is so clear and so obvious, at least to historians, mm -hmm. that we shouldn't fall in the trap of evaluating especially someone like Washington or someone like Lincoln by our own present-day standards. For their time, they were great individuals. And that is, that is factoring in the fact that Washington was a, a slave owner. Right. He owned over 100 slaves. Factoring in the fact that on a number of occasions, uh, Lincoln made statements that we would consider to be white supremacist statements. He once said during the Lincoln-Douglas debates that uh, whites were the superior race and that he was comfortable uh, with that. We take that into account, and then we look at what they actually did. And what they actually did was beyond heroic. No Washington, no United States of America. It's real simple. No Washington, no United States of America, okay? No Lincoln, perhaps two Americas. Sure. Uh, a, 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 a terrible situation, and probably in the long run, no America. And that, I think, is what we have to, view, that's the way I think that we have to view them. We acknowledge they were slaveholders. We acknowledge that in some cases they were white supremacists, but that's not the end of the story. Because we need heroes like Washington 
and 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 Lincoln today. Uh, you know, sometimes when I when I read that military recruitment is down and it is way down, sure, I say to myself, well. Who is going to fight for this country if we need people to fight for this country? And why would they fight for this country? Uh, you fight for people like Washington and, and Lincoln. You fight for the inspiration that they give you. That's pretty much what we have in this country. We're not a country that's founded on, you know, on religion or on race or on ethnicity. We're basically founded on ideas. You know, yeah. ideas of democracy, ideas of equality that, of course, we don't always live up to. And Washington and Lincoln, and even in their flawed way, embodied that. I think that we need some sort of identity in this country, a reason to fight for this country that goes beyond identity politics on the left and goes beyond consumer capitalism on the right. I think we need that, and I think Washington and Lincoln offer that us, offer that to us. I think uh, also the, the, the there is a danger of trying to to idolize kind of a whole person, right? You can say, well, whatever Washington did was right. Well, that's not true because not everything that you or I do is right. I mean, our, our everything kid, I do no, is right. I, I know, <laughs> yeah, present company excluded <laughs> yeah, here, accepted. Yeah. But I mean, your your kids will tell you what they like about you someday and what they don't like about you. And so I think if we think of well, what kinds of principles and values did Washington hold that are admirable? What kinds of principles and values did Lincoln hold that are admirable? Or even some of the others, Andrew Jackson, uh, yeah. heaven yeah. forbid, right? Yeah. Uh, who was all about kind of the common person, or as he would say it, the common man, but also held kind of abhorrent review, uh, views about Native Americans, right? Not, not to mention was a major and unapologetic a- absolutely. slaveholder. But, but, Washington freed his slaves yes. at his death. But I think if we can say, well, what were the values that they held that we still hold as as is important and that they persevered with those values. I mean, Lincoln in during the Civil War was in a, a terrible situation. Um, and yet he still kind of he was uh, unwavering so far as we know on holding th- kind of values. And eventually, even with his views about race, came maybe Change. didn't come all the way around, but certainly said things like, well, we'll get used to you, yeah. um, as he told one of his uh African-Americans in the White House. So I, I think there's still value and remember, there is a lot of value remembering the past if we can contextualize it appropriately. Right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It reminds me to, to always, I, I like to bookend your guys' smart stuff with my dumb stuff. There's an Australian comedian who said, this generation right now is the most progressive generation of all time and you know who else can say that every other generation generation. that came before it (laughs) and it's important to remember that i always tell my students how will we be judged 100 years from now jerry podair arnold schober both the professors from lawrence university i'm gonna be in florida in two weeks so take the next one off here (laughs) we'll we'll join you guys in a month though i'll miss you guys very much might call you and just do this off the air just because i'll miss it thanks a lot (laughs) for coming on here guys we'll be back tomorrow this is outside the box with Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.